Hey, Pastor Bobby here. I'm so glad you're joining us to hear what God is sharing with our community here at Chapel. And I pray, I am praying right now for you, that this message will bless you. It'll be an inspiration to you. It will challenge you to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. And so as we jump into the message, I pray that you open up your mind to God's word, open up your heart to God's spirit, and watch the two come together to bring a supernatural miracle in your life. So let's jump into what God is speaking to us right now. And we have this calling to represent what it looks like when people with lots of differences can unite in Jesus. And we're going to celebrate that. We do it every year on Diversity Sunday this year called The Dream King based on his book that he'll have here that Sunday as well. And so I need you to do two things. One, I want you to take this out of your worship guide real quick. And we're going to pray over these. And two, if you want to be part of the choir, we're going to have a special, all kinds of special stuff going on that Sunday. But if you can sing or you think you can sing or you, you know... You think you can sing, everybody else doesn't think you can sing, we'll still take you. So we're going to have a special choir that Sunday, and if you can just text the word choir to 256-670-2860, that'll get you set up, and uh, Melissa Dollarson and Pastor Jason will contact you and get that all set up. So February 2nd, I want you to take this out, and I want you to just look at it. And our church, like I said, has a very unique purpose of being this bridge of hope between different communities in our area, and I feel like we do a really good job of demonstrating that love and unity in our church but there's people that don't know that a church like this exists. They don't know there's a church that on Sunday morning is almost sometimes 50-50 between black and white. They don't know that in the South there's people that can worship together with all these differences. And so right now, I just want you to close your eyes and we're gonna pray. And I want you, as you pray, I want you to pray over this and ask God, who does he want you to invite to this? Either through this card or through a Facebook, social media invite. We have an event set up. But Father, we thank you for such a unique calling that this church has. And we thank you for the prophetic words that have come uh, over Pastor Doc Shell and through this church, that this church would be a haven for unity among different races and generations. And Father, for Diversity Sunday, we thank you for Will Ford. We thank you for this amazing story that he has, that Father, you show the power of prayer and the power of reconciliation. And Father, we just pray this Sunday is a huge Sunday for your kingdom and for your gospel and to demonstrate unity and amongst a season of our, our country and a season of our lives that is full of, of division and strife. And so, Father, we just pray for the people that we're going to invite, that, Father, you, you stir their hearts now to say yes, to come into your house, to glorify you as their king. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4 as we continue this A River Runs Through It series. Last week, we talked about honor God, and that's kind of our purpose as a church, to honor God, make disciples, and make an impact. Last week, we really nailed that home. We exist to honor God, not, to, not just to reach people, but to honor God first and foremost because he is our king. And if he, lived, if he died for us, we should live for him. This week, we're going to dig into this. What does it mean to be a disciple and to make disciples and to become a disciple and to grow as a disciple? A couple years ago, I was sitting with a, an author who wrote an incredible book on discipleship. He told me this story. So there's a college professor, and on the first day of the semester, all the students come into the, the lecture hall, and he starts giving them the syllabus for that year. And he says, listen, there's only two assignments in this course, only two. He says, one, there'll be a final exam on the last day of class, and two, I want you to find somebody outside of this classroom, and whatever I teach you, I want you to teach them. That's the only two. Two, two assignments, two grades final exam and find somebody to share or teach or, or discuss whatever I've taught you and showed you in this class. So all the students leave the classroom thinking, this is the best class ever. No homework, no labs, no papers to write, no books to read. We just got to show up to class and take the final exam. We just got to show up to class and take the final exam. 
They go through the whole semester loving this class, enjoying this class, thinking, you know, this is the easiest grade ever. The day before the final exam, the professor stands up and he said, remember the first day of class, I told you there's only two assignments. One, you're gonna have a final exam. But two, find somebody outside of this classroom and show them or share with them or teach them everything that I teach you. And like, yes, sir, we remember. He says, good, because I need you to go get the person you shared with and taught everything I told you and bring them in tomorrow because they're taking your final exam. <laughs> See, it's very easy to lose sight of the actual assignment. It's very easy to start thinking about the end result and overlook the process. And these students were so caught up in, it's going to be easy. All I got to do is take the final exam. They overlooked the detail of finding somebody and teaching them and giving them or sharing with them everything I've shared you. That is what discipleship is. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. Meaning, go be a disciple who makes disciples. Everything I teach you, everything I give you, everything I show you, everything you receive from me, go find somebody else and share that with them or give it to them. That is the great commandment. But many times we lose sight of the great commandment, think as long as I get to heaven, I'm good. Instead of realizing God gave you a purpose to not just to get to heaven, but who are you gonna take to heaven with you? Who are you gonna show what heaven looks like here on earth? Who are you gonna show and model what it looks like to follow Jesus here on earth? And the problem with that is, we live in a day and age where many people think, well, if I'm getting saved, if I'm saved, if I'm going to heaven, why do I need discipleship? Pastor, you, you talk about discipleship all the time. Why is that important? If I'm making it to heaven, who cares? Like, and people actually have that thought. And the difference between salvation and discipleship, most of us think discipleship is nothing more than, well, that's what new believers do. When you get saved, you sign up for a class, you, you learn the foundations, and then you're done and you're good. And then you just show up to church and keep living your life. Now, see, salvation is about your soul. Salvation it looks at Jesus as your savior. Discipleship looks at your soul and your whole life and looks at Jesus as Lord and savior. Too many people try to look at Jesus just as savior and they, they neglect the part that he's Lord, he's master. He's rabbi, he's teacher, he's deliverer, he's king, he's redeemer. And it's a heresy that's in the church. I don't want to read what Tozer said back in the 1930s about this heresy. He said, feeling that a notable heresy has come into being throughout evangelical Christian circles. The widely accepted concept that we humans can choose to accept Christ only because we need him as Savior and that we have the right to postpone our obedience to him as Lord as long as we want to. Meaning, I, I, want to, I want to take your salvation. I want your forgiveness, but I'm going to keep living my life the way I want to live it. He said, this is a heresy. In the 1930s, he said, people are starting to think they can have the forgiveness and neglect Jesus. Dallas Willard calls it vampire Christianity. Vampire Christianity, meaning I just want a little bit of your blood, just enough to forgive me my sins and get rid of some of my guilt, maybe get rid of a little bit of my shame but I don't want anything else from you. And you start looking for Jesus when you have a down spot in life just to suck a little bit of his blood out, just to get some uh, appeasement of your sin or your, or your guilt for a moment, but you keep on living your life. Through. See, you don't just get to take his blood, you get to take his whole life. And vampire Christianity is when you start thinking, Jesus, just give me a little bit of your blood, but I don't want anything else. 
I don't want my character to look like you. I don't want my life to look like you. I don't want to do anything you say. I don't want to spend time with you. I don't, I don't want to really want to worship you. I want to keep living my life the way I want to live it, but I want the benefits of knowing you. I, I don't think that's what Jesus died for. But many believers find themselves in that place. And there's four reasons that Dallas Willard gives. He says, one, there is absolutely nothing in what Jesus himself or early church fathers taught that suggests you can decide just to enjoy forgiveness at Jesus' expense and have nothing more to do with him. Like you can't find that in scripture anywhere. In scripture, it's all in or all out. In scripture, it's following Jesus or not following Jesus. It's not the good old Billy Graham crusade, just raise your hand, say yes, and you're good. It is a lifestyle of following Jesus. Two, he says, if we don't become apprentices of his kingdom, in living the way he wants us to live, we be locked in defeat. That's some of you in this room. That you said yes to Jesus. You, you said, I need your forgiveness, but your life hasn't changed. And you keep going through these cycles of defeat and failure and mistakes and mistakes. And it's because you've never started following Jesus to learn how to live in his kingdom here on earth. And three, only avid discipleship through Christ, through his spirit, brings an inward transformation of thought, feeling, and character. Meaning, I'm trying to get what he did on the inside of me out of me. And number four, Jesus learns to trust you through the discipleship process. And he gives more power to those he trusts. He gives more influence to those he trusts. And we're in a day and age where the church is weakened. Everyone says they know Jesus. Everybody wears the t-shirt, but not many are following Jesus. So if you would stand to your feet as we read Matthew chapter 4, 18 together. It says this is Jesus starting his ministry. He just came out of temptation. He just came out of the desert. He starts preaching and then he says this. He's walk, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. Touch your neighbor and say, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And immediately, not, not, not the next day, not the next week, but immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Father, we thank you that you're a God who's still pursuing people all along the shores of life, calling out their names to follow you from here all the way into heaven. And Father, these next few moments, I pray we can learn to honor you by not just saying yes to your forgiveness, but saying yes to your lordship in our lives. Yes to who you want us to become and yes to who you are in and through us. So Father, open up our minds. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just saturate this room, that you stir hearts, you stir minds, you even stir hands to partake in your kingdom. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So Jesus comes out of the desert after fasting for 40 days, gets tempt tempted by the devil at the, end of that at the end of that fast, and he comes out, he preaches the message, then he starts looking for disciples. He happens to stumble across Peter and Andrew, and he tells them, follow me, for I will make you. I will make you into something, and I'll make you fishers of men. What's incredible about this is Jesus is, is a rabbi in this first century culture. And most rabbis, they didn't go pursue disciples. Most rabbis traditionally had their disciples choose them. Like the disciples would, would choose which rabbi they wanted 
to follow. What's even more crazy is traditionally most rabbis asked their disciples to follow the law. Jesus asked his disciples to follow him. Jesus starts changing things up dramatically. And what's important about that is you need to know that you did not choose Jesus. You didn't wake up one morning with, with this amazing thought of, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus today. No, Jesus chose to call you out of wherever you were at. He chose you when everyone else overlooked you. He chose you when everyone else talked down about you. Peter and Andrew were outcasts of society. They were the people, no one else, they weren't following another rabbi because another rabbi wouldn't have them. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, he doesn't care what anyone else has said about you. He doesn't care what your past says about you. He doesn't care about your past failures or your past mistakes. He doesn't care about your past sins. He didn't ask them for their resume. He didn't ask them for their qualifications. He didn't ask them about their past experiences. He didn't ask them for a job application. He just said, follow me. Why? Because he saw something inside of them that he knew was redeemable. He says, you may be fishers of, men right, or fish, fishers of fish right now, but you're going to be a fisher of men because I see something in you that's eternally valuable. See, other people will look at you and determine, are you, are you valuable to me? Are you valuable to me? What can you do for me? If you watch AB, the, the ex, ex receiver for the Steelers and the Patriots and the Raiders, he's been a receiver for every team in the NFL in one season. His agent dropped him this week. And it was a huge blow up because now all of a sudden the agent, as long as he thought he was going to make some money off of him, he was cool. But now the AB starting to get in some financial troubles and criminal stuff. Now he says, well, now I don't want to be a part of it. What he's saying is, as soon as you're not valuable to me, I'm going to dismiss you. God says, when you don't feel valuable, that's when I'm going to reach in and pull you up. See, the world looks at what can you do for me? God says, what can I do through you? It's a major difference. And so these two fishermen are blown away and immediately, immediately they said, let's go. Let's follow him. Let's go wherever he's going. That's where I want to go. Whatever he's doing, I want to do. That is discipleship. And this is my definition of discipleship. Disciples are ordinary people like you, like me, like the person sitting next to you. The ordinary people growing, growing, growing to become more like Jesus and live everyday life just like him together with other disciples. Disciples are ordinary people. They're not, see, we look at the Bible, we think, well, the disciples, you know, that's the apostles, they're special. No, they were normal, ordinary people. Even Peter, when he preached on the day of Pentecost, he said, who are these guys? They're not educated, they're, 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 not, they're nothing special. Who are these people? They're ordinary people like you and me. They're ordinary people growing, meaning you're expecting to move forward to become more like Jesus today than you were yesterday and learning to live your life every day, your everyday life at your school, at your job, at your house, at the church, at the park, wherever you may go, everyday life just like him. What would Jesus do if he was you? That is the goal of discipleship along with other people. That means you should be in a growing relationship with him. Disciples are growing in a relationship with Jesus. 
Disciples are learning his word and growing in his word. Disciples are apprentices of his kingdom. They're learning what is the kingdom like? How do I live in the kingdom? Disciples are are praying people. Disciples are doing what Jesus did. They're becoming what Jesus was like. Disciples are in this growing relationship, and you could define it like this. Disciples are with him, becoming more like him. Disciples are with Jesus. They live their life with him. You can live your life with him and you become more like him. It's that simple. Meaning once you, get, once you get called by Jesus, once you say yes to Jesus, it's not the end. It's the beginning of learning to live your life with him and becoming more like him. So the question is, how much more are you like Jesus today than you were when you got saved? How much more are you like Jesus today than the day that you got saved? And I'm not asking about church attendance. I'm not asking about, well, I quit smoking or I quit drinking. Or I, no, how much more on the inside, your love, your joy, your hope, your peace, what you do, your decisions you make, how you interact with others, how you treat people, how much more are you like Jesus today than you were when you got saved? And that gap is discipleship. And if we're honest, even pastors included, most of us have never truly been discipled. We've gotten so caught up in conversions and trying to get people to say yes, we haven't got people to say follow him. And in doing so, we've detrimented ourselves and there's this huge gap between us getting saved and who God has created us to be. And discipleship tries to close that gap and that's what Jesus did in the scripture. He says follow me and there's two environments. One, this is the discipleship focus. Discipleship focus is becoming more like Jesus. That is the goal, becoming more like Jesus. That's the whole objective of discipleship. But the method is relational environments. You can't be discipled by yourself. You can't be discipled through YouTube or through Facebook Live. You can't, be, you can't be discipled in a lecture and format like we're in right now. That's a teaching format. You're discipled in relational environments where people can say, I love you enough to tell you, you don't look like Jesus right now. They can love you enough to say, God created you for more. They can help hold you accountable. You can do life together. Even when Jesus sent the disciples out to do ministry, he sent them out two by two. He didn't send them out by themselves. So there's a relational environment, which is, that's the model or the method, but the focus is becoming like Jesus. We need to be a group of people that are relational. We're connected to each other with the purpose of helping each other become more like Jesus. And here's how Jesus did it. He said, follow me, follow me. Meaning, a disciple is a person who chooses to follow Jesus. He calls, you have to answer. He calls, you have to choose, meaning this is the head part of discipleship. Meaning when Jesus says something, when he says something in his word, when he calls you into salvation, when he asks you to do something, there is a head level conversation you're having with yourself where you have to make a decision. Am I gonna say yes to following him or am I gonna stay here on my seashore right where I am? It's a head level. Like we have to learn God's word and a apply God's word. See, there's this mental capacity that you should be growing in in your obedience mentally to Jesus. Meaning when he says something, how long does it take me to say yes to what he said? Or how long does it take me to say no to what he said? And that mental level is major because every decision you make, you make with your head. 
And so if you're going to learn to be a disciple, it's going to start with you making the decision, is he worth following? The disciples, Peter and Andrew, are here on the seashore. Jesus says, follow me. They had to make a decision. This Jesus guy, we've heard about him. We, we, I don't know him that well. Do I trust him enough to follow him out of my comfort zone? Do I know him well enough to let him be the leader while I'm the follower? See, discipleship is simple. It's this simple. He leads, you follow. Modern day Christianity is we lead, Jesus follows. We have to reverse that where Jesus isn't following you along your life, you're following him along his life. That is discipleship. And it takes this choice, is my life worth leaving to follow his life? How much better is his life than mine? He calls them, follow me. I don't know about you, I don't have my phone on me. My phone has this amazing thing on it now. If you go into settings, you can go down your settings, you can click this little toggle button, and you will no longer get any calls from numbers that aren't in your contacts. It is a game changer. Like, it doesn't even show up. All you get is later on a missed phone call. It is a game changer. Why? If I don't know you, I don't trust you enough to interrupt maybe my dinner with my wife, maybe my, my time with my kids, maybe my work schedule. Since I don't know you, if I knew you, you'd probably be my contacts. And so we, we automatically dismiss people. Here's what happens. When you don't know Jesus, it's almost like you've toggled that button and he calls and you just dismiss it automatically. Or you don't know him well enough that when he calls you to follow him, you have to ponder a little bit and you choose not to follow him because you don't trust that he's leading you to the proper place. See, Jesus says, count the cost before you follow him. Is he worth following? Because I'll tell you, he's leading us from here all the way to eternity. And every step where he takes us on, I promise you, is better than the step you were on before. I promise you being a fisher of men is better than being a fisher of fish. I promise you following Jesus to the cross is better than following yourself to death. I promise you following Jesus is worth it. He says, count the cost. What man before he builds a house will determine, not determine how much it's going to cost. I'm telling you, count the cost. Is Jesus worth following? You have to brace it in your mind because here's what it's going to cost you. They immediately left their nets behind. Their nets were extremely valuable. That is how they provided for their families. If you look at it, if you did maintenance work or, or, or construction work and you had all these tools in your work truck, they left their work truck and all their tools there to go follow Jesus. They would no longer have a way to provide for themselves. They'd no longer have a way to take care of themselves. They were saying it's all or nothing. They left it behind. Here's the question. What are you willing to leave behind to follow Jesus? What are you willing to leave behind to follow Jesus? Maybe some intentional sin, maybe some really bad relationships, maybe some guilt and some shame. And what are you willing to pick up to follow Jesus? Maybe a cross, maybe a little bit of suffering. What are you willing to do to follow Jesus? Are you willing to pick up your Bible and learn what he said and what he wants from you? Are you willing to spend time with him? What are you willing to leave behind and what are you willing to pick up? He says, follow me. Then he says, and I will make you. 
I will make you. This is the heart level. So we start at the head, then we go to the heart. I will make you. This is what disciples do. Disciples are people, a person who is being changed by Jesus to look like Jesus. Listen, you don't do the changing. He does the changing. He didn't say, follow me and get your life together. Follow me and make yourself a fisherman. Follow me and you do all. He says, follow me and I will make you. He says, I will do it. Religion says, fix up your life, do whatever you need to do, start making yourself up, then follow me. Jesus says, don't even worry about that. I'm sure Peter and Andrew had some junk in their life. He says, you just follow me, I'll take care of the rest. See, when you're following Jesus, anything you need to let go of is going to be let go of. When you start following Jesus, he'll start changing and adapting and and doing things and and changing things up. See, a disciple needs to be changed by Jesus to look like Jesus. And the closer you are to following him, the more you're going to look like him. Romans 8, 29 says, for whom he foreknew, meaning you, whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed, molded into the image of his firstborn son, which is Jesus. That is your purpose. You're saying, well, pastor, I'm in college and I'm trying to figure out what's my purpose. This is your purpose. This is what Paul said. God spoke through Paul, says, this is your purpose. He foreknew you. You need to know that he knew you. Before you messed up, before you did good, before you were in college, before you were Derrick Henry, rushing champion for the NFL, for the Tennessee Titans, he knew you before you did good or bad. That means he loves you before you do good or bad. And he predestined you for what? to look like Jesus. He said, he's your big brother. You need to look like him. Just just try to be like Jesus. Look like Jesus. He says, I will do the making. See, he just begins with making us new as we follow him. See, as you follow Jesus, he starts making you. And I want to read this. We don't change ourselves, then follow follow him. He changes us as we follow him. We do the following. He does the making. And if you're not being made new, you need to check who you're following because you will resemble whoever you're following. If you're following social media, you'll start looking like social media, all sporadic and chaotic and chasing timelines, your mind will be chaotic. If you're following celebrities, you'll start looking like the celebrities. If you're following politics, you'll start looking like politics. Whatever you are following, you will become like. So Jesus says, don't even worry about it, just follow me, I'll take care of the rest. It's a heart level change. It happens at the heart. He didn't even start talking about behavior. He's saying, just become like me at your innermost level. Here's what it says in Ephesians. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19 says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in what? Your inner being, on the inside of you. So that with his power, so that Christ may dwell in your heart hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Where does that take place at? In your heart, in your inner being. Jesus says, I want to mold you I want to shape you. I want to remake you. I want to make you new again from the inside out. I want to take that heart of stone. I want to begin softening it up and molding it to love like him, to be like him, to have joy like him, 
to have hope like him, to have peace like him, to have patience like him. He's saying, I want to take your heart and help it become like him. How does that happen? By spending time with him. If I'm going to become like those people I'm following, I may need to spend more time with him than the people are trying to get me to follow the wrong way. As I spend time with him, it reshapes me, it remakes me, it remolds me. Like that's what prayer and fasting is all about. See, when you spend time with God in prayer, you're giving him a chance to, to mold you and to remake you. And sometimes they even unmake you. The way I explained it is when my kids were born, they were my kids. Like I remember every single one of them, when they were born, they came out. I remember the, Alicia was first born. She's my first baby to see me born. I, she comes out, I'm like, this is a lot nastier than I thought it was going to be. I thought they'd come out like wrapped in swaddling clothes like the Bible says. They come out, you're like, what? Can we put it back, please? Like, this is gross. Then the twins are born. They come out. They're wet. I'm like, no, no. Then RJ comes out. And it's on a Sunday morning. I was on staff at our church. And everybody comes by. I hadn't really seen him yet. He's been born. He's laying there in the nursery with no diaper on. And I'm like, hey, come look at my boy. Like, finally got to Come look at my boy. We're all looking in the mirror. And he has peas right at the window. I'm like, it's my boy. See, the, the moment your kids are born, they're your kids. Like, the moment my kids were conceived, they were Gorleys. And I know as a father what that means. It means I would give my life for them at any moment. Any moment. If any of them needed anything, I would give my life for them. They are my children. I know what it means to be a father. They have no clue what it means to be my child. So they're going to spend the rest of their entire lives learning what they have access to in me. They're going to learn what it means, how far my love will go. There's no conditions based on it. They're going to keep testing the limits of my love. I'm going to keep showing them I still love you. When you mess up, I still love you. When you, when you fail, I still love you. When you don't do your best, I still love you. They're going to spend their whole lives learning who they are as my children. Get this, the moment you are saved, Jesus said, that's my boy. Even if you're peeing on a little window in front of people. He says, that's my boy. That's my girl. There's nothing you can do to change that. He knows exactly what that means. See, with the moment you're born, you fully become a child of God. It's not that you get a, you get a little you know, Starbucks point system. You get one star tapped, and then hopefully you get to 10, then you make it. No, you're fully his child. But you have no clue what that means. He knows it means the whole kingdom is yours. That his inheritance is your inheritance. His joy is your joy. His hope is your hope. His love is your love. He knows exactly what it means to be a child of the Father. You have no clue. And discipleship is where you start letting him show you what it means to be a child of the King. What it looks like. What do you have access to? Healing, joy, favor, inheritance, hope. It's all yours, but you'll never learn it if you never apprentice to the prince of the kingdom. Do you get that? The, the king says, I want my people to understand what it's like to be a child of my kingdom. I'm going to send my own son and let them do on-the-job training with him. So you're on on-the-job on, on training with the son of the king to learn what it's like to be part of the kingdom. That was the whole purpose of Jesus. That is the whole purpose for him to show you what it looks like to be a child of the king. So he's going to unmake me. Sometimes God has to take some stuff out of me Sometimes he has to add some stuff to me. When I mess up, he picks me up. He still tells me, you're still my son. 
When I do well, he says, you're still my son. Don't get a big head. And he molds you and makes you and unmakes you. No one has arrived yet. We're all being remade into the likeness and image of Jesus. So disciples allow Jesus to continually make and remake them to develop his character, his fruit, and a love that looks just like him. So in order to do that, you got to spend time with him. So how much time are you spending with Jesus? If you're wanting the character, if you're wanting the hope, if you're wanting the peace, if you're wanting the fruit, you got to spend time with the root, and he's the root. How much time are you spending with Jesus? See, it's really easy. We think it's a quick fix. Well, I won't spend time with Jesus, and I'll, I'll get in a predicament. I'll just ask the pastor to pray. My prayers can't move you back to the root. All my prayers do is get, make sure I'm in the root, and I ask God, can you try to get them back in the root? You have to spend time with the root. Ten minutes a day will transform you from the inside out. He said, for five minutes a day, I'm going to read the Bible reading plan we talk about every single week. Five minutes a day, I'm going to read that Bible reading plan. The other five minutes, I'm going to sit in silence. Just silence. You don't have to pray. Just sit in silence and let the Holy Spirit recenter your life in the presence of God. How much time are you spending with him? And then what can you do this week, this week, to spend more time with him? So he can remold you and remake you and remind you of who you are and whose you are. Jesus, follow me. I will make you what? Fishers of men. Fishers of men. Head, heart, and now the hands. He says a disciple is a person who is on mission with Jesus, meaning their hands. Jesus doesn't just want your Sunday morning. He wants your head, your heart, and your hands. Get this. All you old school people will, will know this scripture. Everybody else will have no clue. Daniel eleven thirty two, one of my favorite scriptures in the King, G, J, King James Version. Not the LeBron James Version, King James Version. Eleven thirty two, for those who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. Know, be, do. For those who know their God, head, shall be on the inside, strong on the inside, and do great exploits. Know, be, do. You can't do anything for God till you know him. And you can't do things for God until you become like him. God doesn't care about what you do until you know him. He doesn't care what you do until you become like him. Because if you do great things for God before you become like him, you'll fall and end up turning away from him because you thought you did it, not him. Know, be, do. Discipleship is knowing who God is, knowing who you are. Becoming like him and then doing the things God created you to do before the beginning of time. Know, be, do. Head, heart, hands. God has something for you to do. Disciples are continually on mission with Jesus. It's the family business. Like discipleship is the family. The mission of God is the family business. If God is your father... He has a business, and he's invited you to be a partner in this business. How cool is that? Like, when I was growing up, my dad was an electrician. My grandfather was an electrician. Like, I just thought I'd be an electrician. I knew the one church in town, the pastor was a, his dad was a pastor. His son was a youth pastor. His other son was a pastor. I thought it was just a family business. God says, here's my family business, going in all the world and making disciples. Going all the world and advance my kingdom and my purposes. And he's invited you into his family business. And this is the family business. You get to partner with God on earth. God could do it on his own. He chooses to use you and I. Why? We take ownership when we participate. 
When you're part of the process, you end up taking part of the, the, the concept. You take ownership when you're part of it. Meaning, we, we replaced these basketball goals in West Florence last August, I think. Man, it was like the rainiest day in the world. We're out there, it's flooding, raining. These basketball backboards weigh like 4,000 pounds. We've got 10 guys trying to put these backboards up, trying to get them up. And all of a sudden, we get them up. They look great. It's pouring down rain. Everybody's excited. Two months later, I get a phone call and pictures. One of the backboards has already been broken. Now, this is about a $10,000 investment from our church into the West Florence community. So I was pretty mad. I was with Roston Turner at the time. I watched a basketball game. He's like, man, I can't believe that. I was in the rain. I don't even work like that. And I'm all wet. They tear it up. You can't give them nothing. Roston's all tore up. I'm like, man, it's cool. So we go up there after the adopt block in December for pancakes with Santa deal. And I walk in to the, the basketball court area. And I said, yo, like, do y'all like these new basketball goals? Oh, man, we love it. I was like, well, if you love it, you should probably value it just a little bit. We, we were in the rain, like sopping wet, a lot of work, a lot of volunteers, a lot of money, and you already broke one. And they're like, man, no, so-and-so dunked on it, and it broke. I was like, look, man, that's a commercial industrial bat. Shaquille O'Neal does not live in West Florence. I want to tell you that. So somebody's doing something they shouldn't be doing or throwing rocks at or something. I don't even care. I'm letting you know. We're going to put it back up, but you're going to do it. I'm not going to ask a bunch of volunteers to come do it. You didn't value it enough. So I'm going to bring the backboard out here, put some tools, and y'all can put it back up. Because if you participate in it, you'll take ownership of it. God says until you, take, you begin to participate in it, you're not going to take ownership of it. He wants the mission not just to be his mission. He wants it to be your mission. He wants your hands to be involved in what he's doing. And it's sloppy. It's dirty. No one's there yet. Like with the kids, RJ, I'll have him help me do stuff around the house. A couple years ago, he was young. We're changing the taillight on Toya's car. There's these little bitty screws. He's like, man, come help me. So we're taking these screws out, taking this taillight out. And like, it probably took us an hour, and it should have took me five minutes, right? Like, I'm, I'm just hoping he doesn't drop these screws. You know, a screw in a car, if you lose a screw, the screw by the dealer costs like $400 for the screw. So I'm like, don't lose the screws, bro. So replacing it, and we get it in, and I remember his, his expression. I was like, hey, I'm going to go inside the car, and I'm going to push the brake. You let me know if it works. So I go around, and I hit that brake, and those lights turn red, and his face gl- gl- glowed. He was like, dad, 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 dad. It works, it works, it works. Why? Why was he excited? Because he was a partner in it. Now, there was a lot of risk involved. He could have dropped the screw and lost it. He could have, he could have broke something. He could have tore something up. Discipleship is messy. God invites Peter to follow him and be, make disciples with him. Peter messed up over and over and over again. But part of the kingdom is failing forward. Trusting people enough to empower them and letting them go. Because God saved you on purpose for a purpose. This is what Ephesians 2 says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For what? For good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Meaning God has prepared works for you. He prepared something for you to accomplish something for you to do, and discipleship starts training you so you can begin to walk in those purposes that he gave you. Because it's not a question of if your hands are going to do something. Your hands are going to do something. God says, give me your hands, and I'll use them for my glory. Years ago, I think it was the 1980s, 
There's a guy named Larry Walters. Larry Walters was a truck driver. His dream was to be an Air Force fighter pilot. He went to the Air Force. He wanted to be a pilot. His vision was terrible. So they kicked him out. He was upset his whole life. He's living in California. So he ends up being a truck driver. So he'd actually pretend like he was flying a fighter jet while driving an 18-wheeler truck on the interstate. Years pass by, he starts dealing with depression and, and stress and just what could have been, what should have been. And he has this idea. He's in an army surplus store and he saw those old weather balloons. So he went and he bought 45 of these, these old weather balloons, came home, him and his buddies having a cookout, had a couple too many beers, if you know what I mean, gets a lawn chair, puts a rope on the lawn chair and on the front of his Jeep and begins putting helium in 45 of these four foot wide weather balloons. He says, I always wanted to fly. Watch this. If you're a redneck, you know that's key for, oh Lord. So it literally has a lawn chair, a cooler with some sandwiches, a couple cold drinks, which we know are beer, and a pellet gun, lawn chair, 45 four-foot balloons. He has the pellet gun, so when he gets high, he can start shooting the balloons down and come back down. He thinks he's going to go 30 feet up in the air. They get all around. They're all celebrating. He's in that lawn chair. They cut that rope. He didn't go 30 feet. He shot like a cannon up into the ozone layer. Like, no lie, he was close to LAX. A pan-American flight passes by him in CB's Inn. Tower, we just passed a man in a lawn chair <laughs> with a gun. He's panicking. He starts shooting. He's scared to death to shoot the, the balloons, thinking it may tilt him over. He may flip out. So he starts shooting them, and finally starts settling in. He gets caught in power lines, falls out, while he's there, the whole city been looking for him. They arrest him. He's in cuffs on the news in L.A. And they ask him, why did you do it? He says, a man just can't sit around. <laughs> and it's true. A man just can't sit. Your hands are going to do something. Like your hands are going to do, your head's going to do something. Your heart's going to do something. Your hands are going to do something. God says, give them to me and let me do something with them. Actually, Martin Luther, the reformer, said it this way, a man cannot be idle, for the need of his body drives him, and he is compelled to do many good works to reduce it to subjection. Meaning our hands are either going to do good or they're going to do evil. They're either going to give God glory or the enemy glory. They're either going to build God's kingdom or build our own kingdom. God says, let me have them. Let me have your head, let me have your heart, let me have your hands. So maybe you're on one of those three levels. Maybe you've given God your head. You've made a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you're great at reading his word. Maybe you've made the decision to follow him and, and live your life like him. But maybe you haven't given him your heart level. Maybe you haven't spent enough time with him that he can start transforming you from the inside out. Maybe you haven't intentionally been saying, God, make me and remake me into your image. Maybe you haven't committed prayer time to him or study time to him. And maybe you've given him your heart, or maybe you haven't given him your hands. Maybe you're a spectator in the kingdom and not a participator in the kingdom. Wherever Jesus went, there was disciples who were following him and doing what he was doing. But there's always crowds around him. They were just watching to see what he's going to do. Maybe you're a part of those people with a crowd. What can you do to start letting God use your hands for his glory? Maybe it's go to essentials and learn what your gift is, what those purposes that God created you for. That's what that intensity is about. Maybe, just maybe, it's about going on a mission trip to Haiti to discover that God can use you 
for his purposes here on earth. Maybe it's, it's getting connected to the Dream Center. Maybe it's connecting with an outside ministry. Maybe it's feeding and serving kids and praying over kids and chapel kids. Maybe it's serving in youth. Whatever it may be, God wants to use your hands for his glory. What that means is, and you could do this. I think Dallas Willis said this. Be who Jesus would be if he was you. Just be who Jesus would be if he was you. At your job, just be who Jesus would be if he was at your job. At school, just be who Jesus would be if he was at your school. In your house, just be who Jesus would be. See, as a missionary of God, on his mission, you are a missionary of God's kingdom disguised as a teacher. You are a missionary. See, your calling to follow Jesus is higher than your career. It's higher than your calling as a father or mother. So you are a father, you're a missionary to your family disguised as a dad. You're a missionary to your family disguised as a mom. You're a missionary to, to your job disguised as a factory worker. You're, whatever it may be, you are supposed to be who Jesus would be if he was you. How are you letting me use you? How are you following into that? If you would bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men is much more glorious than fishers of fish, for there's an eternal reward. But some of you in this room, you've never said yes to following Jesus. You've had pastors say, you know, raise your hand, do this type thing. And you may have said that or you may not have. Because you counted the cost and you thought, I don't know if it's worth me leaving my nets behind. And today's a chance for you to make a decision, mental decision with your head that Jesus is enough and you trust him enough to follow him so he can begin remaking you into who he created you to be. That's you. You see, you know, God is calling me this morning. You'll know what that's like because you'll have it, your heart, you'll feel in your heart this sense of overwhelming love. Or maybe it's overwhelming conviction. See, maybe your heart is speeding up. Maybe your palms are sweaty. That's the Holy Spirit just knocking on the door of your heart saying, this is you. That's you. One private moment. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. That's you. They're going to have you come forward. I just want to simply ask that you raise your hand right where you are. That you raise your hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? You can put your hands down after you raise them. I'm going to pray in just a minute. I'm going to ask you... Do me one huge favor. After I pray, after we dismiss, if you would go out in the lobby at the info center, they have a gift just to tell you thank you. They want to get your information. We want to help you become a disciple, growing to become more like Jesus and learning to live everyday life just like him. Father, we love you. And we thank you that you are a God who still calls us. You call us out of our old lives that are going no direction at all and call us into your kingdom, which is eternal which is, supersedes this world. It supersedes our pain, our suffering. Father, if we know everything will be renewed in you. And Father, for these people that raise their hand, I just pray, one, that you wash them in the blood of Jesus. As they choose to follow you, Father, remake them, remold them from the inside. Let their heart reflect who you are. Let their love reflect who you are. And Father, let them walk behind Jesus so closely that no one can even see them behind Jesus. Father, renew them, remake them, and use their hands for your purposes and your glory. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Two quick things. So the focus of discipleship is becoming more like Jesus, but the method 
of discipleship is relational environments. There's two things we do at chapel that are vitally important to us making disciples. One is groups. Groups are going to launch next Sunday. They're going to be in the gathering room. You can text this word groups to 256-670-2860 or 2860. That'll give you the link to all the groups that are going to be available. So we have tons of groups available. You'll see the link. You can go through there, pick which ones you're interested in and do that. But you'll be able to talk to all the group leaders next Sunday. That's one relationship. That is our primary discipling model in this church. Because you need relationships that are going all in the same direction, trying to become more like Jesus. The second thing we have is one of my greatest desires as a church is for us not to be a crowd, but to grow into a family. And that is very difficult. People come in, people leave. There's two services. There's lots of things going on. And so what we use here to try to lead you better, and leading for us is providing care when you and your family are going through something, hospital, sickness, disease, death, funerals, etc. Care for you, pray for you, connect with you and help connect you to the body and the mission of church and help communicate with you. So care, connection, and communication. Our lay pastors, that's their whole purpose. And so we play with lots of different models, but each section has a couple, usually a couple of different lay pastors in this section. Those lay pastors are positioned close to you to help provide care, connection, and communication. So it's vitally important you get to know them. So we're going to try something very different today. And so in just a second, we're going to put some music on, and we're going to have a very intentional meet-and-greet type session. If you'll put those questions up there, um, we want you to find your lay pastor. And lay pastor, go ahead and stand up wherever you may be in the room. They got a couple things. I want you to f- connect with them and let them know how, what your name is and how long you've been at chapel. They're going to give you a business card that has their contact info on it. It's also on the website, on the Who We Are on our website. You can pull up a map. It'll show all the sections in here and who your lay pastors are. We want you to get to know them. Tell them your name, how long you've been at chapel. Get the card. But also find people in your section. Tell others what your favorite after-church lunch spot is and tell others what your favorite memory from 2019 is as you meet and greet. And please don't leave yet because we're going to have the lay pastors pray over their sections as we kind of get finished up. So I'm going to give you five minutes to do that on a count of three. One, two, three. Stand to your feet. And lay pastors, you want to come down, probably come down to the front. And then make your way down there. Find them. Find a couple people and answer those questions. One, two, three. Go. Go.